First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 27? Acts 27, that was just read for us. You know, I don't know what stories maybe come into your mind when you think about that word shipwreck. Uh, I don't know, maybe you think of that famous sinking of the so-called unsinkable ship, uh, the Titanic that tragically struck an iceberg and sunk into the frigid waters on April the 15th of 1912. Uh, Maybe for some of you, you think of a a fictional account. Uh, Maybe you think of a, a story that is told in one of our family's favorite movies, The Swiss Family Robinson. Uh, the story about a family that is shipwrecked off of an island, is able to make it to shore and uh, turn it into their home. And, uh, you know, if you're able to build a treehouse like that, maybe a shipwreck isn't so bad, right? But I don't know what you, what you think about when you hear that word shipwreck. Certainly one of the uh, most famous, most well-known shipwreck stories of all time is the one that was just read for us, the shipwreck of the Apostle Paul in Acts 27. Uh, It is a fascinating story. It's extremely well told by Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts and uh, who was at Paul's side during this event, was able to write from his firsthand experience. But oftentimes people have asked, you know, why did Luke include such a lengthy tale of a shipwreck in this book of Acts, which is really the story of the church and the story of the gospel message spreading. And he takes a whole chapter to tell the story of this shipwreck. Certainly it does add excitement to the book of Acts, but that is not why it is included. It is not included here just to add interest. It's included here in God's word for us because there are some important spiritual lessons the Lord would have us learn from this adventure in Paul's life. Now, what I want to do first is I just want us to hear this story. I know it was read for us a minute ago. I want us to walk through this story together. And after we've done that, with the time we have left, I want us to think about some of the lessons that we can learn from it. When chapter 27 of Acts opens, the Apostle Paul has already been in Caesarea for more than two years. We saw how eventually he... Uh, made his appeal, as was the right of every Roman citizen to do, made his appeal to have trial before Caesar in Rome. Uh, Some time had passed while the Roman governor Festus was arranging travel for Paul, but now that travel had evidently been arranged. And so as chapter 27 opens, it is now time for Paul to embark on his journey. Verse 1 says that he is escorted by a Roman centurion named Julius. And Julius shows Paul kindness and respect really from the very beginning. But certainly by the end of this story, his trust and appreciation for Paul would only increase. Julius had other prisoners in his care as well on this journey. We also find out in verse 2, Paul was able to sail with a couple of his Christian friends. Aristarchus from the church at Thessalonica went with him. And because Luke uses the word we in verse 1, we know that again, he was a part of this journey as well. And we don't know how Luke and Aristarchus were allowed to travel with Paul. It's possible that they just paid the fare. They were paying customers aboard these vessels. 
But in any event, what a comfort it must have been to the Apostle Paul to have godly, encouraging friends at his side during this ordeal. And you know, if God has blessed you with some godly, encouraging Christian friends, make sure that you thank God for that. Because when he gives us friends who encourage us in our walk with the Lord, uh, that is one of the greatest blessings that God gives us in this life. Uh, The first boat that they get on is a small coasting vessel, and they sailed first to the city of Sidon. You can see it on this map. They left uh, Caesarea, where Paul had been for two years. They stopped in the city of Sidon. We'll just leave this map up for a bit as we walk through these verses together and hit some of these points along the way. But it was in the city of Sidon that uh, the Roman centurion Julius gave Paul the kindness of allowing him to visit some of his Christian friends in the city who gave him provisions and helped Paul on the rest of his journey. Then they got back on the boat and they sailed around the island of Cyprus and stopped there in the port city of Myra. It was there in Myra that they got on board a second ship, a much larger ship that was from the city of Alexandria in Egypt. And this was a large imperial grain ship. A typical size for this kind of ship would have been 140 feet long. As we'll see, it was able to hold nearly 300 passengers. But even though they were on board such a large ship, that didn't mean that it was going to be an easy journey. And you start to see hints of that. Even in verse 7 and 8, you see that repeated phrase, with difficulty. And they continued on their journey, but it was with difficulty that they finally made it to the south side of the island of Crete, to that port city of Fair Havens. And it was there in Fair Havens that the first really bad decision was made in this story. And that bad decision was not listening to the Apostle Paul. Uh, They had already lost a lot of time because of the winds being against them. And now they were wasting more time as they had to wait on the island for favorable winds. And so it says in verse 9 that the fast had already passed. Now that word fast is a reference to the Jewish Day of Atonement, uh, which came about uh, anytime between the end of September and early October. This particular year, uh, it was held on October the 5th. And so because this Day of Atonement had already passed, it was likely now mid-October by the time they set sail from Fair Havens. It was already dangerous to travel in the Mediterranean Sea in the month of October. By the time you got to the second week of November, pretty much all sea travel stopped across the Mediterranean Sea until the end of winter. And so they only had just a few weeks left. It was dangerous to make this voyage. And so Paul, who has already done quite a bit of sailing at this point in his life, we know from his letter to the Corinthians, he had already had three other shipwrecks before this shipwreck. Can you imagine that? And apparently he could see another one coming on. And so he warns them and says, we should not leave the city of Fair Havens. We should stay here. If we do continue on this trip, I foresee it's going to end in the loss of cargo. It's going to end in the loss of life. Now, to be clear, this was not a revelation from God that he had received at this point. This is just Paul giving his wisdom and his counsel from his own experience traveling on the seas. As it turns out, God would later send an angel to Paul and tell him that there actually would not be any loss of life on this trip. And so Paul ended up being wrong on that part of it, but he definitely wasn't wrong on the fact that they should never have left 
uh, from the city of Fair Havens. But Paul was overruled by the professional sailors on the ship. They did not feel like Fair Havens was a fair enough haven for them to spend the winter at. Uh, They wanted to continue around to the uh, west side of the island of Crete to that harbor city of Phoenix. It was only about 40 miles. Uh, They thought they could make it as they just stayed close to the coast of the island and worked their way around. And Julius, who is the Roman commander, was the really the captain of the ship because of his role. And uh, he made the decision to listen to the professional sailors instead of to listen to the Apostle Paul. He had not learned yet that he needed to listen to Paul. Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul had such a close walk with God, uh, I think I probably would have listened to Paul on any subject that he spoke about. Uh, if he told me where the best smoothie place in town was, I probably would go check that out, right? But, but Julius had not yet learned to listen to Paul, to trust his judgment. And so he probably thought, you know, we can make it. The sailors think we can make it. Let's just go for it. And at first they thought it was going to work out for them. It says in verse 13 that at first there was a, a soft, gentle, southerly breeze across their faces. They thought this is perfect and we just have to make it around the Cape and then it's just a few hours more and we'll be there in the city of Phoenix. No problem. But in verse 14, everything changed. A great storm arose called a Euryclidon or a Euryquilon, which is translated a Northeasterner. This was a storm that sailors on the Mediterranean Sea greatly feared. It could come out of nowhere without warning, just as it did here. And the storm was so fierce, they were not able to sail against the wind. They just had to let the storm take them wherever it would. Now, it's not pictured on the map, but there's a little island called Clauda or Cauda that's about 23 miles to the southwest of Crete. The storm blew them around behind that island, and so they had a brief respite where they tried to get the boat more secure to face the rest of this storm. And you read in verses 16 and 17 some of the things that they did. They brought the skiff, the little uh, John boat, onto the main boat because they didn't want it to bang against the ship and cause damage. Uh, They also lightened the load uh, a little bit. They put out a drift anchor, uh, but uh, none of this would suffice uh, because in verses 18 through 20, things didn't get any better. The storm got worse and worse. Uh, They lightened again as much as they could, their cargo, their tackle. But the storm was so severe that days went by and they did not see the sun or the stars, which in the days before the advent of the compass meant they had no idea where they were at all. They were lost at sea. And so at the end of verse 20, Luke says, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. One person put it this way, they had no gear, no stars, and no hope. And it's at this low point in the story when the apostle Paul steps forward on the boat and has something on his heart that he wants to share with all the other passengers. Of course, the storm is still raging at this time. As you picture this in your mind, the wind is howling, the waves are coming over the sides of the boat, and Paul is probably yelling to be heard over the sound of the storm when he says in verse 21, and I I love the way that he begins this conversation because it's the way that unfortunately many husbands begin their conversations with their wives, right? He said, you should have listened to me, right? Wives, isn't that the way sometimes your husbands begin, right? That's what he was saying. Basically, I told you so. 
I don't think that Paul was saying that just to kind of rub it in their faces that they should have listened. I think what he's doing is trying to build some credibility with hundreds of people that hardly knew him so that they would listen to the message that he was about to give them, which was a message of hope and encouragement from God. Look at what he said in verse 22. And now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now this is different again than what he had predicted before, because this time it wasn't just Paul saying what he thought. This was a message that came straight from God. And he says, so the night before an angel stood beside me and the angel said this to me, look at verse 24. Do not be afraid, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. You know, God had told Paul before that his sovereign purpose in his life was that he would make it to Rome, that he would testify in Rome about Christ. And now, the night before this, God reinforces that message by sending an angel to say that to Paul again. You're going to make it to Rome, Paul. And not only that, but I've granted you the life of every other person on board. Probably that was in response to Paul's prayer for the life of every other person on board. And what a promise This was from God. And so again in verse 25, he tells them again, take heart, be of good courage. But then he tells them that before it's all over, we're going to run aground on an island. The rest of the chapter plays out exactly as Paul said that it would. In verse 27, it says that for the next 14 days, that's a fortnight for the video game players out there, for 14 days, the storm blew them all over the central Mediterranean Sea, which in Paul's day was known as the Adriatic Sea. And then finally, after 14 days, right at about midnight, the sailors could sense that they were getting close to some land. Now, we know now that they were passing less than a mile away from a point off the island of Uh, Malta that is known as Cora. They could hear the breakers as the waves crashed against the rocks at that point. Had it been daylight, they could have seen it with their eyes, but nonetheless, they could hear it. They knew they were getting close to land, and so they took a sounding to see how deep the water was. First one came back 20 fathoms. That's 120 feet deep. They waited a little bit, took another sounding. It came back at 15 fathoms, which was 90 feet deep. And so they could tell we are quickly getting shallower. We are quickly getting closer to land. And they knew that it would be dangerous to continue and to go any further at night when they could not see where they were going. And so they put four anchors out the back, the stern of the ship, to hold them securely. And it says that then they just prayed these Gentiles who did not know the one true God, prayed to whatever God they could think of for the daylight to come. And the next few verses tells us that some of the sailors weren't willing to wait for the daylight to come. Uh, In verses 30 through 32, we read that some of the sailors tried to take the little dinghy, the little John boat. They acted like they were going to use it to put some more anchors out. Really, they wanted to use it to try to get to land on their own. This was a super selfish thing to do. And Uh, Paul reports that to the centurion. He sends the soldiers and they, probably in a little bit of a rash move, cut all the ropes to the dinghy and let it fall into the sea. Probably could have used that the next day uh, when they had beached the boat. But perhaps the soldiers felt like letting that skiff go was the only way to make sure the sailors stayed on board. 
Well, just before dawn, Paul speaks up again. Look at what he says, verse 33 and 34. As the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And you can imagine over the two weeks as they endured this storm that they were either too seasick or just too busy trying to stay alive for them to even think about eating. And so Paul tells them they needed to eat something. They needed to take some nourishment before the next day would come. But then he also encourages them and reminds them of God's promise of protection. He uses a Jewish expression to drive that point home. He says, not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. I I love that uh, Paul uh, says that. Uh, Obviously, though, God uh, never made me uh, such a promise that no hair would fall uh, from my head. Uh, Not that I'm bitter about that or or anything, but he he encouraged them, reminded them of God's uh, protection of them and how he would watch over them. And then he took bread and he broke it. He encouraged them to do the same. Now, some people have said that this was a Lord's Supper service that Paul was having. I really don't believe that that is the case. I believe this was a normal meal. It was a meal that was being held, again, with almost 300 unbelievers. But I believe that Paul, by eating that food and leading them to do that, was showing his gratitude for God. He was also showing his faith in God, that God was going to lead them through this. As one person put it, this wasn't a sacred meal, but it was a sacred moment that Paul had with all the men on board that ship. And so when the dawn came and the sun had risen, all 276 passengers on board had finished their breakfast. They made final preparations. They threw out the rest of the cargo, the rest of the wheat into the sea uh, to lighten the load. Verse 39 says, when the sailors looked up, they did not recognize uh, the beach, the bay that they saw uh, on the island of Malta. But today, that spot on the island of Malta where this took place is known as St. Paul's Beach. Uh, This uh, beach, by the way, perfectly corresponds to every detail that Luke records for us in this story. And just a wonderful reminder of the accuracy of the word of God that he has given to us. Well, they cut the anchors, let them fall into the sea as they made their way for shore. But verse 41 says they struck a place where two seas meet. Most likely that is a reference to a sandbar. And uh, we know something about sandbars living in uh, this area. If you've ever been to Sebastian Inlet, there's a few sandbars there. Pretty sure over the years I've run my boat into a couple of them uh, as well. But this time they ran their ship so much into that sandbar that it stuck solid. It was immovable. As the storm continued to rage, it beat against the stern of the ship and was tearing the ship into pieces. And now the only thing that they could do was to leave the ship and try to make it to shore. Luke tells us that the soldiers wanted to execute all of the prisoners. The reason they wanted to do that, they probably thought, well, in the confusion of trying to make it to shore, these prisoners are going to escape. And when these prisoners escape, uh, it's going to be our heads if we are the ones who have let them go out of our custody. But the text says that Julius did not want them to do that because if they killed the prisoners, it meant they would also kill the Apostle Paul. And so he kept them from that objective. And he told everybody, whether they were a soldier, a sailor, a prisoner, to make it to the shore however they could, to swim if they could swim, 
If not, to grab something from the bone and float there. And that's what they did. And the story ends in verse 44 with this beautiful reminder that God's promise to them was fulfilled perfectly. The last phrase of verse 44, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Well, that is the story. And again, it is an an incredible story. But also, as I said at the beginning, this story is not just here because it's exciting or because it is enjoyable to listen to. It is in our Bibles because God wants us to learn something from it. And really, there's more to learn from this story than we have time today to discuss. But I want to share with you three spiritual lessons that we can learn from Paul's storm-tossed journey. And here's the first lesson. It's a lesson that really should almost go without saying, but it's important to remember that storms and shipwrecks are a part of the adventure. Storms and shipwrecks are a part of the adventure. You know, the series we're in, again, is called The Adventure. And you can see that on the front of your worship guide, that little tagline there that says there's no more exciting life than the one spent following Jesus. And of course, that is true. There is no more exciting life than when we follow him. We don't know when we set out to follow him, how he's going to use us, where he's going to take us, the impact that our life can have on others. What, what a blessing it is to be able to walk through life with the God who made us, the God who has saved us. It's an exciting journey. But also, we are not told, Jesus never promised us a storm-free, shipwreck-free, trial-free, problem-free life. Paul told the other people on board the ship, we must run aground on a certain island. And you know what? In our lives, we're going to run aground on a few islands too. We're going to have some storms. We're going to have some shipwrecks. We're going to have some trials. I know that there are some false teachers out there today who say that we won't. There are some who say that if you believe in Jesus enough, that if you have enough faith, that your life will be wonderful, that you'll never have any problems. But the Bible nowhere says that. And apparently that wasn't the case for the Apostle Paul, who most people believe is the greatest Christian, the greatest missionary who ever lived. No, the Bible says that we will experience storms. We will experience tribulation. Maybe you're going through a storm right now in your life. Obviously, Paul went through a literal storm. But there are other storms as well. Other kinds of storms. You know, when relationships fall apart, that feels like you're in the middle of a storm. When you lose someone that you love, that's one of the greatest storms we can experience in life. When you lose a job, when you experience financial hardship, that is another storm. Storms come in all shapes and all sizes. You know, I've always heard it said, and it just kind of stuck with me, uh, that, that uh, you know, you're really in one of three positions when it comes to a storm. Everybody is. Everybody in this room is. You're either uh, have just come out of a storm that you just went through, uh, or you're in the middle of a storm right now, or you're fixing to go into another one. I mean, that's basically how it is, right? That, that is life in this fallen, broken world. We're either coming out of a storm or in a storm or we're going into one. Now, we need to recognize this too. We need to admit this, that sometimes the storms in our life, sometimes we have something to do with that. Sometimes those storms come when we don't obey God. You know, the story I think about with that is the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. 
You know, there's a lot of overlap between this story of this shipwreck in Paul's life and the story of Jonah that we read in the pages of the Old Testament. In both stories, God's man is on board the boat. In both stories, a big storm comes up. In both stories, the sailors who are on the two boats are crying out to their gods and praying for deliverance because they think they're about to die. But there's a couple big differences in the story of Jonah and this story of Paul as well. In Paul's case, he is on board this boat because he's doing exactly what God told him to do. He's going exactly where God told him to go. In Jonah's case, if you're familiar with that story, you know it's the exact opposite. He's going as completely the opposite direction as he could think of from where God told him to go to the city of Nineveh. And another difference in this story is that in the story of Paul, Paul's presence on board the ship is what ends up saving everybody else's life. In the story of Jonah, it's actually his presence on board the ship that endangers everybody else's life, right? It isn't until he is ejected from the ship, right, until he's thrown overboard that the storm comes to an end. And we have to admit that sometimes the things we go through in life, the storms we go through, can be self-inflicted. They can be storms of our own making, Because we're running from God just like Jonah did. And if that's the case, if you're there today, friend, the only answer is to turn to God instead. To come to him in faith. He'll receive you. He'll work in your heart and in your life. But again, this story in Acts 27 really isn't an example of that. In fact, what this story teaches us is that storms come to our lives sometimes not because we don't obey God. Sometimes storms come to our life when we do obey God. And that's what happened here with the apostle Paul. He wasn't running from God. He was running with God. He was on mission with God. He was going exactly where God told him to go, and yet he finds himself on a ship with a terrifying storm all around him that lasts for weeks, a storm that is so fierce that even the professional sailors on board all think that they're about to die. And by the way, even after this shipwreck, it doesn't stop for Paul. We're going to read about this next week. So he washes up on the island of Malta, and next week he gets bitten by a venomous snake, and everybody thinks he's going to swell up and die. These are the kind of things that happen to Paul. And and like I said, this isn't even his first shipwreck. He's already had three. Can you imagine that? Four shipwrecks now he's had in his life. Listen to these words that he wrote in 2 Corinthians 11 about some of the things he experienced while he was serving God. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Now four. In uh, in. He says, in night and day, I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentile, perils of the city, perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold, in nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. And here's the point. Paul experienced all of that while he was busy faithfully doing what God told him to do. And sometimes, friends, that will happen in our life as well. You'll be busy serving God, doing what he has told you to do, and you find yourself in the middle of a storm. We don't always know why. 
We don't always know why in God's providence he allows those storms to come. But one thing we do know, as believers, we are not adrift at sea. Here's lesson number two that we have to remember and take to heart. God's promises are like anchors for our soul in the middle of the storm. You know, all throughout this harrowing adventure, there was one person on board this ship who seemed to handle things differently than everybody else, right? At a certain point, even the sailors lost it and tried to uh, take the John boat and save their own life, right? At a certain point, the soldiers also tried to do the same thing. Luke says that there was a moment when basically all of them had lost their hope. There was one person on board who never lost hope. There was one poor person on board who had a peace and a calmness in his soul. No matter how much the waters and the storm raged around him, one person who was able to stand up and encourage everybody else. And that one person, of course, was Paul. Now, why was Paul able to be so calm and so at peace in the middle of this tremendous life-threatening storm? It is because Paul had an anchor in his soul that they did not have. And Paul's anchor was God and his promises to him. Now, in this instance, Paul had been given a very specific promise. In fact, that promise was first given back in Acts chapter 23 when Paul was being held at the Antonia Fortress in Jerusalem. And one night the Lord Jesus came and stood beside him. And this is what it says in Acts 23, 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And I can just imagine how over the next two years, Paul hung to those words and clung to those words like an anchor, this promise that God had given him that no matter what happened, no matter how long he stayed in custody at Caesarea, there would be a day that he would make it to Rome. Now here he is more than two years later, he's on board this ship in the middle of a storm and God is gracious enough to come to Paul and remind him of that promise. Has anybody here ever needed a reminder of one of the promises of God? Right? We've heard some of the promises in the past, but sometimes we need to hear a reminder. Paul needed that reminder, and God brought it to him in the middle of the storm. And he said to him again, don't be afraid, Paul. You must testify before Caesar. You are going to make it to Rome. That was an anchor in Paul's soul, the promise he had received from God. Now, here's the question. Do we have any anchor points like that? Have we been given any promises from God that can be like anchors in our soul when we find ourselves in the middle of a storm? Well, obviously the answer is yes. The whole word of God is filled with promises from him to us. I'm just going to take time here today just to share four of them. You know, there's a certain part of the story where they threw four anchors out the back. And with that in mind, let's think about these four promises out of all the promises God has given It can be like anchors for our soul. Here's the first anchor point. We have the anchor of God's sovereignty. If there is one primary lesson in this story, it is that God is absolutely sovereign over everything. Everything that God says will happen in this story happens. God says that not one of them is going to die. Not one of them dies. 
God says that they're going to run aground on an island and the ship will be lost. That's exactly what happens. God says that Paul is going to make it to Rome. Sure enough, Paul makes it to Rome. What God says happens because he is the sovereign king of the universe and nothing is able to frustrate God's purpose and God's plan from coming about. And you know, no matter what we go through in life, We've been given a promise from our sovereign God that he is at work in every detail of our life. This is what it says in Romans 8, 28. Such a familiar verse. Maybe somebody needs to hear this verse again today. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And if you love God, if you are called according to your purpose, to his purpose, then according to God, everything in your life, the good things and the bad things, even in the storm, he is working all of those things together for your good. I heard the story about how the famous preacher, Dr. Barnhouse and his wife uh, would kind of remind each other of that truth when one or the other of them would forget it and would begin to maybe doubt God in the middle of a hard time. And whenever one of them would do that, the other one would say, for we think that all things work together for our good. And the other one would hear that and there'd be a check in their spirit and they would say what the word actually says, for we know that all things work together for our good. Do you know that? Do you know that promise? It's an anchor for your soul, the anchor of God's sovereignty. Here's the second anchor, an anchor of God's presence. Countless times in the word of God, he reminds us not to be afraid because he is with us. Even in the great commission, when he sends us out to make disciples of all nations, this is what he says in Matthew 28, 20. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Friend, I don't know what you're going through right now, but I do know this. I do know no matter what storm that you are in right now, you're not alone in the boat. He is with you always, even to the end of the age. It's the anchor of God's presence. A third anchor is the anchor of God's love. And we know the Bible says that God loves us. And some of us have grown up since the time we were little children, having that song sung to us, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. But sometimes when we're in the middle of the storm, that's a truth that we can forget, isn't it? You know, Paul was on his way to Rome when this storm hit him. Perhaps he remembered the words that he had written to the Romans just a short time before. This is what he wrote them. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No storm that we go through is able to pry us from the love that God has for us in Christ. Here's the fourth truth, and it's a related truth. There's the anchor of God's eternal grip of our lives. Paul told everyone on board that ship that not one of them would perish, right? That not a single hair would be lost from any of their heads. Eternally speaking, that same thing could be said of every one of us who knows Christ. Eternally speaking, not one single person who has trusted Christ as their savior will be lost. 
he will hold us fast. Here's what the Lord said in John chapter 10. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Again, friend, I don't know the storm that you're going through right now, but I know the one who holds you securely in the palm of his hand and has promised to never, ever let you go. There is an anchor for you and for me that holds us fast. The promise of the word of God. One final lesson I want us to see here. We only have a minute or two to spend on this, but don't miss this truth in this story. Our faith in God as his children in the middle of the storm will impact everyone else who sails with us. Now this really could be an entire sermon in itself to unpack this truth, but do you notice that on this ship, Paul is there with 276 people. As far as we know, 273 of them do not know Christ. So he is surrounded by unbelievers who do not know the Lord. And yet Paul's faith in God in the middle of the storm is able to strengthen them and encourage them. The last night before they ran aground, remember that Paul took bread and broke and encouraged them to eat and they were encouraged by his faith to hold on to faith. His faith was infectious. His faith was contagious. And at the end of the day, it's because Paul was on the boat. It's because of Paul's presence on the boat that God says he was going to spare everybody else who was on that ship. Even at the end of the story, when they're about to kill the prisoners, it's because of Paul that that doesn't happen, that every one of their lives is saved. Just like God said, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Christian, you and I have some other people sailing through life with us, don't we? We've got some other people on the boat with us as we go through life. We've got some unbelievers on the boat with us who are in our circles of influence who know us. We've got some other believers, hopefully, on the boat with us as well. Don't underestimate the impact that your faith, especially your faith in the middle of the storm, can have on the other people who are on your boat. Now, of course, the Bible doesn't teach universalism. God has not promised you or me that everyone on our boat is going to be eternally saved. We haven't received that promise. But listen, in the same way that everybody on that ship had a front row seat to witness Paul's faith in the storm, everybody in your life, everybody in your circle right now has a front row seat to witness your faith. And there's nothing quite like seeing a faith that is real. Seeing a faith that is tested, seeing a faith when it walks through the hardest, darkest, deepest valley of life and seeing that faith come through. There's nothing quite like that to point someone who doesn't yet know Christ to their need for God. Again, on our boats, we also have some other believers who are sailing with us and they know the Lord and they know his promises but sometimes when the storms begin to rage, perhaps there are some on the boat with us that their faith begins to falter. Their faith begins to stumble. You know, that can happen to any of us, can it? 
and what they need, and at some point in your life, it's probably what you'll need. What they need is for another Christian to have strong faith in that storm. For another Christian to be able to stand up like Paul did in the middle of the storm and say, God has said this. God has given us his word. And I believe it will be exactly as he said. What they need. And maybe it's a brother or sister in the Lord. Maybe it's your own husband, your own wife. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your parent who's having trouble believing in that moment. Sometimes what they need is for you to say, I believe in the promise of God. I believe he will hold us fast. And if you're having trouble believing right now, then you just hang on to my faith for a minute. And I'll believe for the both of us. There will be storms that will come. We all know that. But in the middle of the storm, let's make this our prayer. This really just ties together everything we've seen this morning. Let's pray this. Sovereign King, you are with me in the storm. Your purpose will be done. You love me. You hold me secure. And because your promises are true, give me the grace to weather this storm with an infectious contagious faith. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are our sovereign king. Father, I pray for anyone in this room right now that doesn't yet have Christ as that anchor for their souls. I thank you, Lord, that your son has come, that he has lived, that he has died for our sin, that he's risen again on the third day. I pray today there might be one who just from their heart, even now, would cry out to you, ask for your forgiveness, ask for your son Jesus to come into their heart and their life, to save them, to make them new. Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters who do know you at this moment, who have the hope of heaven as an anchor for their souls. But Lord, maybe they're going through a storm right now that feels like more than they can bear. I pray you'd lift them up. Give them your peace. Give them your strength. Surround them with other believers who can hold up their arms when they're weak. Father, we know there's other people on the boat with us watching us in the storm. Father, give us the grace to have a faith that is contagious and affectious that points them to the hope that's found in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.